Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all this day as we come to God to worship. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating hope and belonging by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus. And my hope for you today is that you feel that. You feel that sense of belonging and that sense of hope. With that, I want to say a word of prayer for, for you all this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your hope and your love. I pray that you are blessed as your people come today to worship you. May your spirit be lifted high as many have joined together. May you bless those who are here through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, my older children have been involved in TCAPs. And if you're connected to the schools, uh, we got some thumbs up. Probably, probably the only thumbs up of anybody about TCAPs uh, comes from Chuck. So thank you for that, Chuck. Um, but but TCAPs are, are going on right now. I thought they were over, but I think that we got some thumbs down in the back from Caleb. So we know what our students think about it. Um, but but TCAPs are going on. I thought they were over this week. Evidently, my son's got another, another round next week. Um, uh, but anyways, I, I, they put so much pressure on kids these days as it relates to the testing, which is, which is really unfortunate because it's really just testing what they know. And, and so there's nothing you can really do when it comes time to the test to, to get any better at it other than just kind of relax and do the best you can. I think that's the, the kind of message that our kids should get. That may be the kind of message that our teachers and our administrators are giving our students, but I know that at least that's for most of them, that's not what they're hearing. Um, but, but most people, you know, everybody has their uh, opinions as it relates to testing, and most of those opinions are like our young people that are in the back saying, you know, no, they don't like, like the testing, um, at least especially the way that it, that it puts stress on them and it makes them, them feel a certain way. But in reality, there is another reality as it relates to, to testing as well, because you don't test in the fall, right? You test in the later part of the school year because you've been preparing all, all, all year for these tests, which means that testing also signals that school is uh, going to be over in the matter of just a few weeks. I know commencements are coming up for our high school seniors and, um, and our, our other kids are about, to, are about to start anticipating being out for, for the summer. And kids love summer. I mean, kids love summer. As a child, I remember that, that summer was a time of unlimited possibility, or the beginning of the summer was a time of unlimited possibilities, right? You, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want to be because you have nobody telling you what to do. You have a summer that's full of free time and, and, and there's finally freedom. You can ride bikes. You can, you, you can go swimming. You can get up early and play video games or you can sleep late and, 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 and nobody's supposed to bother you. You don't have no homework. There's no yellow school buses. You just are able to do whatever you want. Summer is freedom. At least that's what young people think, right? As my kids are looking forward to summer, I imagine that they have some of these similar thoughts in their, their, their minds, a blank slate to do whatever, whatever you want to do. But as great as summer is, summer break especially, I also remember what would happen just a few weeks in to summer break, where the, where the shiny... <coughs> yeah, 
excuse me, I'm still recovering from being sick a few weeks ago, and it's, uh, it's, it's uh, anyways. But uh, I, I, just a few weeks into summer, that, that shiny newness starts to wear off, right? You know, like that toy that you get on Christmas morning, the shiny newness starts to get to wear off. And, and, and after a few days of, of having just this unlimited freedom and then seeing that, that people are in different places and some people are on vacations and some people aren't, then the reality starts to set in and the infamous words, I'm bored begin to settle and I'm bored. I'm bored. As an adult, I would love to be bored. I mean, maybe not like for a long time, that I would love to be bored at least for a couple hours. Maybe a couple hours every week of boredom would, would, really, would really be what I, what I would love love. But as a child, I remember that feeling and feeling and saying that you were bored was the absolute worst thing. The absolute worst thing. The, the thing about being bored, it just kind of snaps and zaps the fun out of this freedom of, of, of summer, out of this, this joy that you're supposed to be feeling all summer long. And the thing is, kids think that they want complete freedom. They think that they want freedom. Oh, look at that. Alicia brought me water, and remember that this is Alicia's last Sunday. And and um, anyways, thank you. So uh, my apologies. Anyways, but uh, you know, you think about kids want freedom, and they want ultimate freedom to do whatever they want, freedom to to enjoy as much screen time as possible, freedom from bedtimes, freedom from schoolwork, freedom from discipline. But the thing is. When you get too much freedom, when they get too much freedom, it usually doesn't end up going too well. They usually end up getting into trouble. They usually end up having bad behavior. And many times, they usually... We're getting some disagreement in the back, but I bet your parents would agree. Then they usually also end up getting a little grumpy when they have too much freedom, too much screen time especially. You can give them everything they want, and then they kind of end up biting your hand in thanks. It's like, yeah, you know, thank you. You see, what most experts and most parents will tell you is that kids need structure, kids need freedom, but kids also need routines and boundaries and rules. Kids need to know that they're safe. That's what it boils down to. Kids need to know that they're safe and that they're cared for. They don't need to be oppressed into to following your, your specific rules that don't make any sense, but kids need to be to, to know what their routines are so they can feel safe, so that they can feel cared for. But of course, of course, in the midst of the safety, in the midst of all this, kids are always going to try to test these boundaries, to try to approach these boundaries, and try to figure out how to break them. But that's, that's what kids do. That's what they're supposed to do. And um, <coughs> evidently, I'm not supposed to talk. So Alicia's going to finish their sermon this morning. But, but you know, that's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what kids need. They need the, this time to feel safe and this time of structure and hope in their lives. And so it's funny to me that adults have this idea that when they reach adulthood, that they don't need anyone telling them what to do. If, if our kids don't like it, adults especially don't like 
people telling them what to do. And the world basically tells you, tells you that in order to live a full life, or, or to live the best life you can, you have to, to, to be free. You need freedom. You need uh, to be, uh, have an abundant life. You need to be free from stuff. The world says you don't need people in authority telling you what to do to live your life. You, you just need to, to listen to your own self, to use your own heart as a guide. And when you do this, you will be happy and you will have an abundant life. And this is the messaging you and I get on a daily basis through, throughout society. And as a result, you and I live in a society where many of the bonds of accountability of previous years and of previous generations no longer exist. I mean, civic clubs exist, but they don't have the influence that they did 60, 70 years ago. The things that, that used to have drawl and bonds of pulling people together don't exist anymore because people know that they need their freedom. People have been told that they need their freedom. And on top of this, people don't trust things like the government. People don't trust the media. People are suspicious of churches and religious authorities. And so you would think... That all this freedom, and not just like American like liberty type freedom, but just like freedom from, from, from influence and from people telling you what to do, you would think that this would mean that you and I live in a time where people are living their best lives. Because people have more independence from other people now than they perhaps ever had. And so you would think that, that's what society says that we need, you would think that that would mean that, that everyone would be living lives full of abundance and happiness because you're doing what you've been told you need to do. But the problem is, that's just not the case. That's just not the case. Instead of people being happier and, and living more abundantly, people are more alone now than they ever have been. People are more alone now than they ever have been. According to, to recent data from Cigna, Nearly 60% of U.S. adults report experiencing loneliness. 60% of U.S. adults report experiencing loneliness. And, and common sense would tell you this is probably higher for senior adults than it is for younger people. But you know what? That's not true. The data actually says that young people are the most lonely people out of our society right now. Something like 80% of young people experience say that they are lonely, and many of them reporting saying that they always feel, they always feel left out. And then when you combine this loneliness with the sheer size of the self-help industry, I mean, it, it begins to be mind-blowing. In 2025, it's estimated that the, the self-improvement market will be worth like $14 billion. I, I mean, this is, this is a lot of money. Adults have more freedom from people telling them what to do. But instead of living happier and fuller lives, you are lonelier and trying to pay people to teach you how to not be lonely and to teach you how to be happy. You, you are lonelier. People are lonelier and paying money to try to figure out how to live a happier and a more abundant life. The world says, be free and you will live a full life. But these days, 
people, and perhaps you, are finding that this just isn't true. The really neat thing is that God has something to say about this. And in fact, one time Jesus was teaching and he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus was teaching the folks that he was with and, and he was just saying, you know what, I came. One of the reasons I came was so that people could have abundant life. Jesus came here so that you and I could live an abundant life, to live a life that is full, to live a life that is worth living, to live a life that's the kind of life that you want to live. Whereas a translation that I normally use says, to live life to the fullest. The world says to be free, you need to live to be free. You need to be free to live a full life. To live a full life, you need to be free. But Jesus says, I have something else for you. And God's plan, God's plan for a full life is a bit different than what the world tries to say. So if you want to follow along, and if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to be looking at John chapter 10. And, and John was listening to, to Jesus' teaching about living a full life and, and what that could mean. And, and he, he writes and shares with us Jesus' words in John chapter 10, beginning in verse, in verse 7, where, Jesus, where we read that Jesus spoke again. He said, I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and outlaws, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief enters only to still kill and destroy. But I came so that they could live life to the fullest. Now, I don't know about you, but this talk about sheep, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'll just be honest. I, I'm not a shepherd. I was never raised around sheep. When I think people living with sheep, I think about like anthrax and things like that. Like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to care for sheep. Maybe some of you grew up on a farm. Maybe some of you have farms now, and you know what it's like to, 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 to care for animals. But, but I, even if you do, you, you probably don't know what it was like for Jesus' time in first century Palestine to care for sheep. And so as removed as like caring for sheep is in today's culture, caring for sheep in the first century Palestine was, is even more removed to me. But this is the metaphor that Jesus uses to teach you about abundant life. When you read the, the writings of Jesus, what you find is that he's always teaching and using what we call parables. Most of these are metaphors. Metaphors that deal with common life in first century Palestine. And so these were examples that everyone would have understood, but because we live like 2,000 years later, you know, we usually don't understand them unless you just read a little bit deeper and try to figure out what's going on. And so Jesus is, is using this metaphor about sheep and, and, and what it's like to be a shepherd to teach the people that he's with about abundant life. So when you look at shepherding in, in the first century in Palestine, there are basically two ways of, of protecting your sheep. You know, sheep have to go out to graze, and then they have to come in so they don't get eaten by the wolves. And so the sheep go out to graze in the daytime, and, and then, and then they, they come back. And, and in first century Palestine, there were basically two ways that the sheep were kept safe at night. And the first was in these communal sheep pens. These would be like where the whole village has all their sheep. And they just come in this big storehouse, 
And there's a gate with a key, and so somebody's in charge with a key and keeping sure and making sure that the, this, this pen stays closed and it's locked and safe from thieves and robbers and, and wild animals through the night. But you see, there's another kind of sheep pen that just wasn't as formal because part of the year, the sheep would not return to the village. In fact, during the warmer months, the sheep would stay out with the shepherds grazing throughout, throughout the day. And so I guess they were too far to return home for the night. And so all throughout the landscape, you would find these, these, these freestanding enclosures. And when I say enclosure, it's really just like, a, like a, a circle with a hole cut in it for a door with you know, some stones stacked up. I mean, these aren't big buildings. These are just some, some like outcroppings where you have this little enclosure that has some, some stones stacked around it in kind of a circular fashion with a door. And there's no gate on the door. It's just an open thing. So it's like finding, finding a, um, something in, at a public park where you know, it's made for the public use. And, and so the, the, at night, what would happen is that the shepherd would guide their sheep into these sheep pens. They would know their voice. And then to keep them safe through the night, the shepherd would lie down in the opening. So the shepherd would literally become the gate that kept the sheep safe through the night. So there's no like wooden gate, there's no metal gate, there's just a, a human being laying down in the gap, protecting the sheep from the wolves or thieves or whatever predators may be there. The, the shepherd literally becomes the gate to keep the sheep safe. So when Jesus is talking about sheep and about him being the gate, this is what he's talking about. I mean, you and I think it's like this super metaphor. Maybe it means something very spiritual. But, but Jesus is like, no, it's just that, that I'm like the shepherd. And, and, and my, my, my children, my followers, they listen to my voice. They're like my sheep. And, and they come in and I keep them safe. And, and I will just lay my life down for them. I will protect them in a way that the shepherd protects the sheep at night. In fact, I am so close to them that I will lay down and be the gate that protects them. So at this time, like the shepherd and the sheep, they all smell really bad, sleeping out in the fields, and like they, they, they know each other very intimately. And, and Jesus, says, uh, Jesus says then that his followers can go in and come out. That's, that's from the passage as well. It says that as, as Jesus is there and keeping them safe, his followers can come in and go out. That was a way of, of saying that, that they can be safe and secure. So coming in and going out is another thing that, that his, his people would really understand and would really get. Jesus is saying that, that the sheep can come and go, and the followers of Jesus can come and go. And this is language, once again, that's coming from, from the first century. This early, early audience, and, and it was a common way, it was a really a common phrase of, of describing a life that was safe and secure. You and I might use the phrase, you know, safe and sound. That's more of a common phrase these days. And so we'd say that, that, that not that you can come and go, but that you'll just be safe and secure in the embrace of Jesus. Jesus is saying, here I am, ready to embrace all my followers so that you can be safe and secure coming in and going out. So when one goes in and one goes out, they're able to do this without fear. You're being able to live without fear in a safe and sound way. So what Jesus is, is saying here is that when you follow Jesus, God will embrace you with a new sense of, of safety and security in life, a sense where, where your worries and your fears of life are, are actually gone. 
And this is where God's plan for abundant life really comes up against the way the world talks about living a full life. The world says you have to be free to live a full life. The world says you have to live a full life. You can only do so when you're free. But God says your life is fullest in the embrace of God. The world says your life is fullest when you're free from anybody. But God says your life is fullest in the embrace of God. It's like the child who thinks they want ultimate freedom. It's like the child who thinks they want to be, be free from rules and routine, but just ends up being bored on summer break because no one's paying attention to her. Because no one cares enough to pay attention to her, to, to help her, to, to guide her, to be with her. The full life that the world has pom- promised, I mean, it's resulted in a lot of difficulties with, with mental health, with loneliness, and you know it because you buy the self-help books. You buy the self-help books to try to make it better, and the reason I know you buy the self-help books is because I buy them, right? And, 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 and somebody's buying them, and, and it's not the kid on suffer break that's buying them, it's you and it's me. We're buying these books because we're looking for this full life to make things better. But God says there's another way. God says there's another way, and the other way is submitting to God and allowing God's full embrace to give you abundant life. Jesus says, I I came to protect my followers so that they can be safe and secure, so that they can be safe and sound, so that they can live abundant lives. And when when you live life in the fullest, you live it in Jesus. This language about living life to the fullest, or having abundant life, it comes from a Greek phrase, really. And I'm not going to tell you the Greek phrase because it's Greek to me, but, um, but, but, the, but the Greek phrase really means superabundance of a thing. And so it's, it's, it's a word and a phrase that means a superabundance of a thing. You have a superabundance. So what's really being said here is that for those that know Jesus, For those that follow Jesus, you have access to a super abundance of life. Not that everything is going to be okay. Not that everything is going to be good. Not that you're going to be rich, rich, rich. But that you will have a super abundance of life. And to me, this sounds great. To me, this sounds like life. I mean, wouldn't you love a super abundance of life? The world tries to to sell you things to make your life abundant. You know, fancy vacations, a new car, or even that self-help book just to try, to try to unlock the mysteries of happiness once and for all. And when you do this, when you buy into this, you know, happiness probably comes for a moment. The vacation is fun for a moment. The, the fancy place is fun for a moment. The new thing is fun for a moment. But it doesn't really bring that, that lasting super abundance of life. So how can Jesus offer it? How can Jesus offer superabundance of life? The thing is, when you walk with Jesus and live a life of faith with, with other followers of Jesus, this is, where, this is where the abundance of life comes from. It doesn't mean that, that everything is going to just be great or that everything's going to work out in a certain way. But, it, but it's Jesus saying, you know, I'm here. I'm here to do this with you. 
You can be safe and sound because, because I am the gate to protect you and to guide you. And Jesus says, this is why I came. This is why I came. So that you can live life the way God intended from the beginning. Full of, of purpose and hope. So that you can, can live life to the fullest. The world says to have a full life, you've got to be free. You've got to be free from everything. But God says, your life is fullest in the embrace of God. So I want to encourage you to live into that. To allow God to embrace you. To allow God to be the one to keep you safe and sound. To allow God the one to accompany you. To join yourself with other followers of Jesus. Other sheep that are trying to do the same thing. And, and, and to live this full super abundance of life in the embrace of God. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for your, for your guidance and your love. I thank you that you give us a, a way to, to find abundance in life, and it's not something that we can do alone. It's something that you invite your church to do together each and every day. It's something that you, you say, hey, I've got a way that's different from the world's way, and it's a way that leads to hope and abundance. So my prayer this day, O oh God, is that you will open each heart who hears these words you open each heart who's, who's been online to hear these words and you will speak into their lives words of embrace, words of fullness, so that each one, regardless of the circumstances, can receive your warm embrace and can receive that super abundance of life that you promise and that you can deliver. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being in worship today. May God bless you this day with a full life, with a super abundance of life in the grace of our Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.